this evening, uh, as Nathan has already said, we're going to fire into Acts chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 1 to 7. We're going to consider it's not going to be quite as direct as what are you doing to serve in the church. It might be at some point because I get a bit loud sometimes. But I want us to think a little bit more about problem solving in church because I think that's what we find in this passage. Problem solving, serving, fitting people into the right place. What should we do? What needs done? We're going to attempt to kind of unpack a little bit of that that I believe we find in Acts chapter 6. We'll begin reading from verse number 1 and we'll read to verse 7. It says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith out of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnamis, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just ask that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us, that you would challenge us, rebuke us, encourage us, build us up where we need it. We thank you that your presence is here with each one of us tonight. Amen. This is a church that is in a good place. But it's a church that is experiencing something of growing pains. They are growing. They are getting bigger. And as things get bigger, we need to address that. You can't have a business with three employees. If you've got a couple of customers, that's okay. But if you grow, you can't have 10,000 customers and not very many staff to see to that. You need to grow your business to the size of the demands that are in front of you. And there is something similar of that in church. If there are people serving, if there are more widows to serve, we need more people to do the serving. This is a good church, an exciting church. People were being saved. There were people being added to their number all the time. But I want to ask you, have you ever focused on something that you neglected something else? When I was 16 or 17, I was living at home and I was watching some TV and whatever it was, it had my full attention. I was stuck on it. And my mum phoned me and asked me to stick dinner on. So I went, yeah, okay, no problem, mum, I'll go do this. I ran through, stuck the steak pie in the oven, turned it on, ran back, sat down. And I thought, 10 minutes in, something doesn't smell quite right. So I ran through to the kitchen and it turns out you should never grill a steak pie. I put it on completely the wrong setting, so we had this black smoke everywhere top, and we had this freezing cold meat at the bottom. It worked out well, so I'm pretty sure I got a chippy that night. But if we are completely distracted by something, other things tend to fall by the wayside. Another example, have you ever tried to cater for an event or for family gatherings, and the number of people coming just grows and grows and grows? In June, we had our Messy Church Family Fun Day. 
that brings a, that brought our programme to a close. And normally, we have 100, 120 people at Messy Church, which is a big task for our catering team anyway. But I completely forgot to tell them that we were expecting about 200 people. So, lo and behold, over 200 people turned up and we catered for 120. So with a massive apology and my tail between my legs, I sprinted down to Asda and we managed to get enough stuff and we made it work. These are just a couple of daft little examples. But in the second example, my lack of organisation almost caused us a problem. Thankfully, it wasn't a problem that took away from the ministry or from what we were doing. But in this passage, that's something that we see. The organisation of this church was not good enough. And what was happening is the ministry was beginning to suffer. Let's start in verse 1. But in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. That's an exciting church. That sounds like there are lots of people coming to faith all the time. And that's the backbone of this church. This isn't a struggling church. This isn't a place that they're struggling to find the right people to do stuff. They're not saying um, that things are hard, but things are great, but they know that they need to move with that. So just a little bit of background to this passage. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews who had come from surrounding nations and wouldn't have spoken the local language of Aramaic. They were outsiders. And the fact that they were being neglected was causing a situation that could have potentially divided the church. But what we're going to explore is how the apostles handled this issue with great wisdom. And because of that, they didn't give Satan any foothold within their fellowship. And I think as we pause here, that when a church is faced with a serious problem, it presents the leadership and the members of that church a number of opportunities to examine the ministries within the life of the church, and to discover what can be done, what changes need to be made. And you know, an observation of church life, when things are going well, when things seem to be okay, we're quite happy to maintain the status quo. We're thinking, you know what, if something works, let's just leave it and let's hope it just keeps on that trajectory and keeps going well. Things are wonderful, God's blessing us, there's no need to change. But this is dangerous. If we feel that there is anything beyond examination, this is dangerous. Any ministry that thinks it's success, that it's bringing people to the Lord, that it's engaging with and sharing the love of Christ with people, will automatically go on is headed for failure. And that also applies to our own lives. We must regularly examine ourselves. And we must take nothing for granted. The apostles looked at this situation and they concluded that they were to blame. They were so busy serving tables, they were so busy with the distribution of finances and food that they were neglecting prayer and they were neglecting the ministry of the world. This is an incredibly important job. Both of them are incredibly important jobs. But they created a problem because they were seeking to do too much by themselves. And we see the same today. Too many pastors, too many people seeking to do too many things that are secondary to their call of prayer and the world. So I just want to ask three brief questions tonight. What did they do? How did they do it? And what happened because of it? What did they do? We find the answer in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Simply, they appointed the right people to take care of this ministry. The apostles' priority was to preach the gospel. And they knew that they had to remain faithful to that. But their remaining faithful to that didn't mean that the problems round about them would disappear. There was still this need to look after those that were less fortunate. An incredibly important ministry of the church to look after the orphan and the widow. And we are so fortunate to live in a country where we have a state that seeks to provide for those in the most difficult of situations, the most vulnerable and the most struggling. But still many fall through the gaps. Here there is no state help. Here it is the church and it is only the church that must stand up. The congregation were to select seven men to positions and the apostles would appoint them. Congregational election. Should we elect elders and deacons? Yes, we should. Because that is what we see here. Selecting people from among the body, taking them before the leadership to bring them into that. And I just want to look carefully at what the criteria is that is set before them. What do we need to see in our leaders? What do we need to see in the people that serve in the church? Firstly, they must be from among you. This brings us to the obvious truth that those that run ministries, those that look after the things in the church must be believers. Those that serve in the church represent God and they must have a living faith. I think it also means that as churches we should always be looking to develop our next generation. To look amongst ourselves as a body of believers but also to look amongst ourselves as the congregation of Hamilton Baptist Church. I think it's incredibly exciting when we see young men grow up, go into the ministry and pastor the churches that they grew up in. Because that church invested so heavily in them and built them up. They must be people of good reputation. What is good reputation? We find that in Titus 1. And the criteria for eldership, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is a good guideline for us to start. This is a good place for us to start because this, I think, shows us what it means to have good reputation. Those who lead in church must be full of the spirit, it tells us. What does that mean? It means that they have given God control of every area of their life. I think this is the criteria for a position of responsibility within the important ministries in the church. Look for those amongst us. Those that live obedient lives to God. Those that have wisdom and see where they serve. It's interesting, what they say here is not, do not wait on tables. They're not saying it's a menial task. Because every ministry within the church is important. But it is a matter of priority. The apostles were doing jobs that they were not called to do. So what can we do? 
as these men were selected to serve, what can we do? Without doubt, each one of us this evening has different gifts that are given to us by the grace of God. And as a whole, I absolutely believe it. This church is uh, sufficiently gifted to be able to carry out the work of the kingdom here in Hamilton. Each of us have gifts and abilities that are given to us by God. But the question is, how can we, as individuals and as a group, accomplish God's will in building his church? First, we must desire to discover our gifts. What are your gifts? Music, teaching, helping, cleaning, technical things, arranging meetings, making phone calls, washing cars, preparing a Bible study. I can't speak that fast. Preparing meals, language translation, I don't know. There is loads and loads of things that we can be skilled in. Maybe you see that somebody around you has a need. Is someone in hospital? Go visit them. Has someone had a baby? Volunteer to take them food. I know that these are things that we do as a church and that's greatly encouraging. Perhaps somebody is in great financial difficulty because their car is just broken down. Maybe there's something we can do there. But I believe that some of the best ministry starts from where we are right now. From the needs that present themselves right in front of us. And we pray that God would make us aware of these things. Look around us and see what we can do. What is God doing in our church? Where is God at work in our church? Is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that I can offer to be a part of that? And we must use our gifts in faith. We can only do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. That's the thing I need to keep telling myself in a minute. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. Our faithfulness to God matters. Pray about it. Use your gifts prayerfully. Ask God how to use your gifts. Ask God when to use your gifts. Don't do nothing. Do something. Are you serving the Lord as the Lord is calling you to serve? If you are fantastic, we pray that you will be encouraged in what you do. We pray that you will be challenged by this criteria that is set out uh, by Luke in front of us. That we would be people of wisdom, of good reputation, of all of these things. What did they do? They searched the congregation for those that met criteria. And they brought them before the leadership. And they distributed. How did they do it? Verses 5 and 6. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Paramanas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. How did they solve their problems? They were rational. There was order to what they did. It is good for us to have order. It is good for us to have organisation. It is good for things to be in their place and right. 
I think it's interesting that all seven of these men have Greek names, which suggested that they were Hellenists. I love that. I love that they're saying, let us bring in people of this community and let us empower them to go and to do and to serve their people. I think that's a great showing of Christian love and unity within their church. Why? Because the Hellenists felt sidelined. Their widows were being ignored. So they decided to appoint seven from among them to go and sort all of this out. We know this, that of the seven that were appointed, the most prominent of these is Stephen. We know that Stephen played a crucial role in the spreading of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. And here we read something of his character. He is a man full of faith and the spirit. He took the gospel to the Samaritans, the Ethiopian eunuch. Four of his daughters became prophetesses. An incredible man. And maybe a lot of that starts in here. We don't know much else about the rest of these men. But the congregation brought them before the apostles. They laid hands on them. They commissioned them and they went. Although there is little known about these men. They played an incredibly important role in the foundational history of the church. If it wasn't for them, the apostles' priorities would have been compromised or the church may have split under this tension and either would have been disastrous. How did they come into leading this ministry? They were selected. There wasn't a sign-up sheet, there wasn't a call from the pulpit. It was much more intentional than that. Do you know, we all know yes men. We all know people that say yes to everything. Tea and coffee rota, I'm in. Lead and worship, I can't sing. I don't know which way around to hold the guitar. But sure, I'll do it. There are lots of us that just say yes to doing things because we want to please people. But I think our call is to focus on what we are meant to focus on. We are meant to find the right people to do the right thing. That same question again, what are your gifts? Are you a person of hospitality? Do you have this gift of being able to welcome anybody to make them feel welcome and like they belong? Brilliant. I would suggest that that is an area of ministry that you should be involved in if you aren't already. What does that look like? I don't know. Don't we often find though that it's the same people that serve in church? And it causes me to reflect a bit. Do you know, I, I have, we have a great number of young people in this church. And how much could I do on my own? Not very much. I couldn't do much on my own at all. But the only way that we are able to serve our young people, the only way that we are able to do so much for them, is because there is such an incredible team of people that are invested in our young people. They care about them, that love them, that want to hang out with them, that want to lead them in the ways of the Lord. And they allow me, therefore, to prepare studies. They allow me to deal with pastoral situations. They release me to be able to come and to preach, to plan for the future, to do the things that I should focus on. But it's only possible because there are great people that know the call that God has put on their lives and are going and are doing. We need great people serving in church. Do you know, I love being in the church throughout the week, seeing the vast number of people that serve in so many different ways. 
And that is what church should look like. People from all walks of life serving for the common goal of sharing Christ. And finally, and I think the most exciting point of this, what happened because of the response in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I think these guys are nailing this balance here. They are nailing this balance that that ministry and the word are both vitally important in the life of the church. Yes, we must preach the gospel, but we must also love people. It's not either or, but it is both. And the word of God continued to increase. The numbers of disciples multiplied greatly. And many of the priests became obedient. What happened when the apostles focused on what they should focus on? People got saved. People saw Jesus for who he is. Do you know, we love a good growth strategy. In churches, we love growth strategies. There are so many books, seminars, sermons, things, articles written on growth strategies of church. Based on this, what was the apostles' grand idea of a growth strategy within the church? Find the right people to do things, empower them and preach the gospel. That is what they did. Preaching the gospel is the only way that people will know of salvation. The gospel is preached and people find Jesus. How beautifully simple is that? Do you know, we seek to engage our communities, which is absolutely right. But how often do we seek gospel transformation? How often do we do things and expect God to work? If we are declaring the good news of Jesus in whatever we do within the life of the church, then surely we should, be, we should expect our God to be at work. What did they preach? They preached the scripture. Plain and simply. And it was an utter, utter priority for these disciples. What is the gospel? What is the message that they were taking out that man can be saved by? That there is one man, one perfect man that can save us from the wrath of God. That that is the glorious news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The man that came and took our place so that all that believe in him may have eternal life but also that we may come into his bride, the church. And the apostles know that. The apostles know the urgency of the gospel. Do we? The declaration of the good news was paramount to the early church. Is it the priority of the ministries of our church? My absolute favourite bit of this passage. A great many priests became obedient to the faith. Can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine the sight of these proud religious men that thought that they knew all? These men that thought they were right, that reputation and self-esteem was just blown away and they bowed in submission before God Almighty. How marvellous would that sight have been 
Yeah, they probably weren't chief priests. There was many priests. Maybe they were attracted by the charity of the Christians. I don't know. But what a sight that would have been to have seen so many come into faith. And that's what we read of here. That as the people were cared for, as the apostles went and preached, the numbers of disciples increased rapidly. And the lesson we can take from this is that the church today needs organisation for the same reason that that first fellowship needed organisation. So that those that are called to the word can focus on the word. So that we can care for those in our community and the communities round about us. And so that we can see a unified church. Because a unified and a well-taught church is such a powerful witness in this world. Does our congregation show this balance of words and ministry? Pray for the life of our church. Pray for those who serve in church. Pray for those who lead us in worship. Pray for those who preach. Pray for those who serve throughout the week. Why? So that in everything we may be glorified through Christ Jesus. Where do you fit in the church? How might you help build up the body of Christ? Because without doubt there is space for everyone and there is a purpose to everyone. Do you have a desire to serve but you have no idea where? Grab a pastor, grab an elder, chat about it. Talk it through. Pray about it. If you are serving in this church and if you're discouraged, I urge you to chat to somebody. Bring it before the Lord. Pray about it. Try and find the joy in what we have the privilege of doing, of serving our God. Why? Because it is good to serve. And it is good to serve with joy. Let's pray. Our God, how great it is to be part of the body. The body that is made up of many parts. Of the body that needs each part to function. To glorify you in our community. Lord we thank you for this example that we find here. For these problem solvers. That seek to find the right people. To do the right things for the glory of your kingdom. Lord would you challenge us. Would you challenge us to be people that serve with joy. Would you challenge us to be people that want to serve. Where it is right that we serve. We thank you that you are a good God. That you are always amongst us. That you are a living and a working God. Amen.